We are almost done with this series called Jesus is Better, where we've been looking at uh, 10 ways from Hebrews uh, chapters 1 through 10 that Jesus is simply better than anything else. Uh, And today we're going to focus on this theme. Jesus makes worship awesome. We want to think about that. Jesus makes worship awesome. Let me read to you uh, verses 19 through 25. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. This is God's word, amen. I don't know, uh, when's the last time you used the word awesome to describe something? Uh, If you're like me, I use it all the time. I I just kind of did a little inventory this week as I was thinking about this topic, and I said uh, awesome probably more times than I could actually count, and most of the time it was about basic trivial things. Uh, That food was awesome. The TV show, awesome. Uh, The the gold medal that the United States won in swimming, awesome, you know. Uh, Most of the words change over time, and that's not a bad thing, but it seems like at least based on my own inventory of my own speech, uh, the word awesome basically just means I like it today. I like it. It's something that I enjoy. But if you look at the word, you can see a little tiny word in the front of the word awesome. It's the word awe. Awe. A-W-E. Awe basically tells you what the word originally meant when they first started using it. It means encountering or experiencing something that provokes awe. Amazement, wonder, uh, it floors you, it blows you away. That's what awesome is supposed to mean. And that's the sense in which I want to use it this morning. Jesus makes our worship awesome. Now, how does he do that? Uh, The scripture tells us there in uh, verses 19 uh, through 21, he does that through every single thing that Jesus came into this world to accomplish. Uh, It says there, we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. So the death of Jesus is part of what makes worship awesome. Uh, He opened up a new and living way for us through the curtain, that is his body. His life of obedience in the flesh is a part of how Jesus makes worship awesome. And then it says, since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God. And so Jesus' resurrection And his current reign at the right hand of God the Father makes worship awesome. In other words, everything that Jesus did in his life was for the purpose of restoring you and restoring me back to being worshipers of God. Question, do you and do I take worship that seriously? Jesus, when he said, hey, here's what worship means to me, spilled his blood for it left the glory of heaven to take on the flesh of a dusty, sinful, miserable world for it. Is that how we value it? 
Now, when I say worship this morning, I, I mean two things. I mean the worship that we do here together, gathering together, which is, I think, primarily what this little paragraph is about. But, of course, worship is more than just Sunday gathering. Uh, worship is something that ought to characterize the whole life of Christians. Uh, there, Jesus talks about a secret practice of worship that you should have, where you go into your closet, shut the door, and pray alone where only God can hear you. That, that's worship. The Bible also talks about how families and, and friends, you know, smaller groups of people, are to get together to praise the Lord and to pray and to read the Scriptures. That's also worship. I mean all three of those things when I say worship, that in all three of those things, Jesus Christ has died and risen again so that you and I can be restored to where we originally were supposed to be as worshipers of God. You'll notice in the passage there are three let us statements. Did you see that? Three times he says, let us. That's going to be our outline this morning for the sermon. In verse 22, he says, let us draw near to God. That's the first point. We're going to draw near to God and worship. Verse 23, he says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. That's the second point. Uh, worship helps us hold on to hope. And then lastly, verse 24, he says, let us consider how we may spur one another on to love and good works. Worship helps us spur each other on. So first of all, uh, worship helps us draw near to God. Actually, that's what worship is mainly all about, right? Without drawing near to God, there really isn't any true worship. Think about this. Imagine you got in the mail an invitation to go have dinner with a, a very important person that you admire. Somebody you've never met before, famous person. I don't know who that would be for you. Uh, could be a musician, could be an athlete, uh, president, or past president. It could be anybody. You got the invitation, it came on official letterhead, the date and time is set, you show up, and as you get there, the meal comes out, it's a beautiful meal, it's the best food you've ever had, but the person never shows up. What do you think? Are you excited? Are you happy? Are you disappointed? It's okay to say it, right? You're disappointed, right? I would think you'd be massively disappointed. Because the whole reason you got excited about that invitation in the first place wasn't because you knew the meal was going to be fancy. It was because you were going to sit with the President of the United States or with your favorite musician or your favorite athlete or whoever it might be. And they didn't show, and so therefore you would say the invitation was bad. Totally bad, totally bogus. Well, that's kind of like that with worship. No matter what it is we do and how, no matter how excellently we do it in worship, whether it's privately or publicly... If God doesn't show up and we don't come to meet with God, worship hasn't happened. Not in a true sense. It says there in verse 22 that because Jesus died on the cross, he opened up a way, a new and living way, for us to draw near to God. In other words, before Jesus died, that way was closed. This is really the heart of the Christian gospel. We were made for face-to-face -face fellowship with God. We were made to be worshipers. But the problem is we have defiled ourselves to where, because of our rebellion against God, we've defiled ourselves to where we cannot come into God's presence, at least not safely. Uh, we cannot come to, into his presence sincerely. Our, our hearts are way too mixed. I mean, I know we all feel it even this morning. You know, every time we come to worship, we feel it. Our attention is divided and we got so many other priorities that are distracting us from the main reason why we're here, which is to meet with the Lord. And so, apart from the work of Jesus, it would be impossible for us to draw near to God with a sincere heart 
And with what it says there is full assurance that faith brings. And yet Jesus did all of that so that we could begin to do it. So that we could begin here on earth to do what we will one day do forever in heaven. Jesus spoke to this uh, in the book of John chapter 4 when he, he told the Samaritan woman, the Father is seeking people to worship him. I want you to get that in your mind this morning. That God is seeking you far more than you are seeking God in worship. God sought you far before you ever began to seek God this morning or any other day of your life. God is the great seeker with a capital S when it comes to worship. And then Jesus tells the Samaritan woman what it is he's seeking. The Father is seeking people to worship him in spirit and in truth, which, which corresponds exactly to what it says in this passage. Spirit is a sincere heart. Where worship is not just robotic and doing the same thing after, you know, one after the other just because you're trained to do it. But it comes from the core of who you are as an expression of gratitude for what God has done for you. And then truth. Truth is, is the same thing as the full assurance that faith brings. Faith, the, the content of the faith, is what's supposed to give us the assurance that, yes, God has welcomed us this morning to come into his presence. God welcomes us to go into the closets of our rooms. And although nobody else can hear what we pray, God hears what we pray. We have the assurance that he does because of what Jesus Christ has done. In fact, it's as if that this whole imagery of the, in verse 19, of the most holy place that Jesus has opened up for us. The imagery there is that when we come to worship, what's actually happening is Jesus is lifting us into heaven, spiritually. And there we are joining our voices. Some of our voices are better than others. <laughs> like mine's probably the worst in the room. But nevertheless, we're joining those voices, imperfect though they are, with the voices of angels, the voices of the saints who have gone before us, who have been made perfect in the presence of Christ. That's actually what's going on this morning. And yet, isn't it true? When we come to worship, we don't think that's what's going on. When you sit down in the morning to read your Bible and you've got sleepies still in your eyes, you don't think I'm being lifted up into heaven by Jesus, my Savior, right now. It's so hard to think that, isn't it? And yet this passage is reminding us, let us draw near. Let's remember Jesus really has opened the most holy place. He's blazed a trail. Don't let the, the common distractions with worship, the, the things that might draw your attention away, draw your attention away. Keep your focus clear. We are here to meet with God. I, I think, and, and I don't think I'm overstating the case, I don't think, to say this, I think one of Satan's greatest works in our lives is to get us distracted from worship. Uh, C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite writers, wrote a book in the 1950s called The Screwtape Letters. It's kind of a weird book, but I encourage you, if you like weird books, read it. I say it's weird because it's imaginary. It's, it's a fictional book where uh, a senior demon named uh, Screwtape is writing to his, you know, his nephew, another demon named Wormwood, who's just learning how to be demon. He's learning the demon ways. And Wormwood has this particular Christian man that he's 
called to tempt. He's been sent out to tempt this guy away from God. And, and Screwtape has given him all these pointers. And in one of the letters, he picks out on this very theme. He says, one thing that you need to do with this man is you need to draw his attention to the little things that might draw him away from God every time he comes to worship. Like, let him notice that the lady sitting next to him is singing out of tune. Make that huge in his mind, you know. Let him look across the room and see the guy who none of the clothes he's wearing is matching at all. Right? Let the smell of an old musty church get in his brain and make him not want to be there anymore. You know, give, make him impatient with the moment. Uh, in fact, this is what he writes. He says to his nephew, uh, Wormwood, The horror of the same old thing is one of the most valuable passions we have produced in the human heart. If you get them to believe that when they come to worship, whether it's at home at the dinner table or whether it's at church on Sunday, if you can get them to believe this is just the same old thing you've won. Because the same old thing, the horror of it in the human heart, is the source, it says, of heresies in religion or false teaching in religion. It's the source of folly in counsel. It's the source of infidelity in marriage. And it's the source of inconstancy in friendship. You got them if you can get them to be afraid of falling into a rut and the same old thing. This passage is fighting against that. It's coming to our hearts and it's saying, no, ask the Holy Spirit when you sit down to worship to open your eyes to show you what's really happening. What's really happening with these people that have gathered here this morning? What's really happening is Christ is leading us in a triumphal parade into the presence of God in heaven. Christ is leading us in song. Christ is preaching to us. Christ is speaking his word over our lives as a word of blessing. That's what's happening. It's valuable. It's so valuable that God was willing to send his only son into the world to spill his blood to ensure that you got the privilege of doing it. It's so valuable that actually heaven will be a world of worship. Perfect worship. Can you imagine? We have no more sin. And so there's no more veil separating us from God. There's no more distraction by our sin away from our Father, away from Jesus. We're going to see him face to face in worship. We're going to actually see the angels who join us in song and maybe even lead us in song. I mean, how amazing. And yet Jesus has assured us that where two or three are gathered in my name, where my word is opened, where prayers are offered, I am there. And in an even truer sense, you are here with me in heaven. Isn't that amazing? Think about it. The second thing that worship does, doesn't it just make us draw near to God, but it helps us hold on to the hope. Hold on to our hope. Uh, imagine you went to the doctor and you got a checkup. You weren't feeling well. You got a checkup. And the doctor says, well, I got it. I ran some tests. And you are deficient in iron. Or you are deficient in you name it, insulin or whatever it is, you're deficient. What is the solution to every physical deficiency? It's the same solution. You don't have to have a medical degree to answer this. What is the solution to the deficiency? Get more, right? <laughs> you need to eat more. You need, you, need to get, you need to find what has iron in it or find what has vitamin D or vitamin C or whatever it is. Or you need to get some pills that have it in there and you need to take them. You need to take them regularly. Sometimes you're so far deficient, you need to take a bunch of them just to catch up. Isn't that right? Nurses in the room, I hope I'm not saying wrong things, right? I, I think I'm on safe ground. Good. 
Don't you know we also have spiritual deficiencies as well as physical deficiencies? We have spiritual deficiencies. And part of the reason why we need to come to worship is to correct our spiritual deficiency. You say, what are we deficient in? I believe, it tells you there in verse 23, our number one deficiency is hope. We have a hope deficiency. Let us hold unswervingly, it says, to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. In other words, we have a hope deficiency. We lack hope in our lives because we have a God deficiency. You see, according to this verse, if you know God is faithful, you will not have a hope deficiency. But when we have a hope deficiency, it's because we're not correctly understanding or at least not taking to heart the fact that God has been unswervingly faithful to us. And so what is worship? Worship is the opportunity to bask in the glory of who God is. It's to take in vitamin God, you know, not to be, not to be flippant about it, but it's like God is a, it's a spiritual, nutritional value to your life. Without him, you will absolutely, absolutely see the effects of it in your life. And so the call every single day in our lives is come to me and worship. Come to me and remember. Don't just profess hope in me. Actually hold on to it. Do you see that there again in verse 22? Or excuse me, 23? He contrasts professing faith and holding on unswervingly to it. It's like like there are two different things. And And I think they are two different things. Now, let me explain. You can't hold on to hope if you don't profess it. Right? Uh, to profess hope is to say, my hope is in Jesus and in Jesus alone. I believe in Christ. He's the Savior of my soul. He's my Lord. He's my Master. I'm following Him wherever He goes. That's to profess faith. You can't hold on to that if you're not willing to at least say that and to at least know it in your heart. But here's the thing. According to this, you can definitely profess it and not hold on to it unswervingly. And the difference between those two things is really very serious. Sometimes it can be life and death difference between those two things. Because here's what tends to happen. I've seen it a lot as a Christian and as a pastor. You have somebody who merely professes the faith but doesn't really hold on to it. They say they're Christian, but they're not really practicing it in their lives. More often than not, before long, unless they correct that, more often than not, they will not be professing the faith very shortly. If you profess but don't hold, you probably won't be professing very much longer. Your days are numbered in the Christian community. Right? And I think, and one historian actually points this out, that generations work this way too. Uh, this, this historian says one generation tends to believe something very strongly, but if they don't pass it on, the next generation assumes it, and then the third generation completely abandons it. And don't we kind of see that with Christian faith in our time right now? I mean, I mean, I don't want to be an alarmist, but I don't think I'm being an alarmist to say a lot of people have totally forgotten and abandoned the gospel. I would submit to you that wasn't because they, they never had it in their family or in their heritage. Most people here have, right? It's because probably... Long before they abandoned it, somebody assumed it. They merely professed, but they didn't hold. The reason why we come to worship 
together on Sunday. The reason why we worship privately in our lives is because that's what strengthens our grip on the one who has his grip on us. Paul says in uh, Philippians 3, I strive to take hold of that for which Christ has taken hold of me. You notice? Christ took hold of Paul first. That's the gospel. You do not get saved by taking hold of God first. You're saved because he took hold of you. But yet, look at what Paul says. Because he took hold of me, I strive to take back hold of him. And Christian worship is an exercise in that. It's an exercise in laying hold of the one who's already got us, going from merely professing to holding. Now, I realize you may be here, and you, or, or someone may be listening in later or watching, who says, I don't even profess, and that, that may very well be true. But I, I'm talking mainly right now to, all, to those of you in the room who do profess faith. Do you see the difference between merely professing and professing and holding? And I would ask you this morning, what is it you're professing versus what is it that you're holding to in your life? Is there a difference between those two things? And if there's a difference, don't you see the remedy? You need more God. Good news. Jesus says God is seeking you to worship him and drawing you to himself. That's the second thing. Worship helps us hold on hope. Thirdly, and lastly, not least though, worship helps us spur one another on. Uh, it says that there in verses 24 and 25. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Uh, worship is mainly about meeting with God, but there's a reason why worship needs to be done together, according to that verse. There's something about the togetherness. Uh, it's as if... You know, God's word, you know, comes to us and, you know, it can, it can make an effect on us if we're just reading the Bible on our own. But don't you know, when you start to get in relationships with other people who are also learning from the Bible, the Bible hits you differently. It comes to you from different angles. Maybe it's because they have different experiences than you do and they kind of fill in your gaps. Maybe it's that. Maybe it's just the fact that God wants us to know we need each other. And so he makes it happen that way just to show us you can't do it alone. No matter what the reason is, the, the passage here says, don't neglect meeting together, 15, don't give it up, as some are in the habit of doing. So let's just pause right there. COVID did not invent the desire to be alone, right? It just sort of made it worse, maybe, in, in many people, but it didn't invent it. Uh, the 21st century and Netflix did not invent it, right? This, is, this was a problem right here in the first century. He says, some of y'all are in the habit of not meeting with the rest of the church. Don't give that up. Because when you give that up, you lose the spur that you need. You lose the spur. Now think about a spur. Um, I would hazard a guess that no, not many people in here have ever used spurs. Uh, maybe some of y'all have, but you know what a spur is. Uh, is a spur hard or soft? Let's start there. Hard or soft? Hard. Uh, is it uh, rounded and blunt, or is it a little bit more spiky? Spiky. Think about why that is. Uh, if you just taped pillows to your cowboy boots and tapped the horse with pillows on the end of your cowboy boots, would that, what would that do to the horse? Nothing. Zero. It would kind of probably stare at you funny. 
The reason it needs to be hard and the reason it needs to be kind of spiky, it's not, it's not going to puncture their skin, but it's going to make them just uncomfortable enough. The reason it needs to be that is because they will not do what they naturally would need to do, what you're telling it to do, without being spurred. That's what the writer here is saying. This is the way we are. It's not talking about some distant, far-off people. It's talking about me. It's talking about you. If we're not regularly spurred, made uncomfortable by each other, <laughs> and by God's Word coming through each other, we're not going to move in the direction that Jesus is driving us to move. We need a spur. In fact, the word for spur there... I love this. It literally means sharp disagreement. Sharp disagreement. Now, this is not, you know, sanctifying uh, squabbling within the church. That's not what this is talking about. Uh, He's not talking about we need sharp disagreements when we come to church just over small things or personality differences. I mean, those things inevitably happen, but that's not what he's talking about. We should be working to heal those things wherever they pop up. What he's talking about is a good kind of sharp disagreement. He's talking about when we all get together around the Bible and God begins to speak to us, you better believe there's going to be a sharp disagreement. And it's going to be a sharp disagreement between you and God and God and you. You know why that is? Because not everything in my heart, not everything in my mind is approved of by God. Not everything's right. And so any time that I'm really paying attention to Scripture, it's going to feel like God's spurring me. And sometimes I don't hear something from Scripture that you hear, and when you come and share it with me, you've just spurred me. And the writer here says we've got to consider how to do that more, not less. We don't need less gathering together. We need more gathering together. We don't need less of the Bible in the worship service. We need more of it. In fact, I hope, you know, at Greater Hope, we, if we're going to be a growing, healthy church, which is what we want to be, right, which God has blessed us up to this point, we want to continue to see God's blessing. If we're going to do that, we have to give God's voice prime place in worship. And hopefully you see it happening. We read the Bible. We preach the Bible. We, we sing the Bible. We pray the Bible. When we have uh, communion and, and baptism, we even see the Bible. It's Bible, Bible, Bible. You say, why do we need so much Bible? When worship is filled with the Bible, you'll get filled with hope. When worship is filled with something else, my preferences, your preferences, you know, what makes me comfortable, what makes me uncomfortable, it won't fill me with hope. Why? The spur will be missing. It'll be like putting on pillows on the cowboy boots. We're just patting each other with pillows. And that's not very constructive. The thing that makes disciples is worship that is rich with God's voice. And having God's voice hit my heart where I'm, I'm working hard. It takes discipline. But working hard to clear out distractions so that I can receive from God and respond back to God so that I can receive with patience the jab of the, of the thorn, of the spur that comes into my side to get me going in the right way. It's not that God is spurring us to bad things. It says here in, in, there in verse 24, God is spurring us to love, after all, and good deeds. I mean, who's going to argue with that? Love and good deeds. I mean, that's, I mean, everybody's for that. Well, or is everybody for that, right? Think about it. Everybody would say they're for it, but of course I know that every day I'm always trying to resist the demands of love. It's too hard. I'm resisting it. Good deeds, ah, it's so much easier to just chill or pursue my own pleasure. 
We need a spur. The, ble- the best place to get that spur, as it says here, is to meet together to worship God, to draw near to God. The best place to get it when you're not here at worship, because we, we're not here every day, is to when you're at home, find time, whether it's in your car driving, whether it's in your closet, literally, whether it's with your family at the dinner table, whether it's with friends in your community group when you gather together, find time to worship, to let God speak, and to respond to Him as God is calling you to respond. Isn't that amazing? How worship is made awesome by Jesus. I hope, I hope this helps this morning. When we come into the room or when we pick up our Bibles at home, I hope it helps us not to see any, as much as we do the little annoyances or the little things that rub us the wrong way, you know. I hope we recognize that as like a strategy of Satan <laughs> to keep us from the riches that God wants to bestow on us. Remember, God is seeking worshipers. Worshipers aren't seeking God. And God is here to bless if we'll open our eyes and see how Jesus has opened the door to heaven. He's brought us up. Amen.